Well, hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad that you are here. Hey, we're going to be doing something a little bit different here on my podcast. A few weeks ago, I had mentioned that I was going to make a pivot here on my podcast. And one of those pivots is me helping you understand your Bible in a deeper way. I'm going to do that by going through the life of David. And so over the coming weeks, I will be posting content uh, where we will be studying First and Second Samuel together. I'll have a teaching at the front of each time that we gather and then also at the end I'll have a discussion with a friend of mine where we go over uh, the study for the day and talk about what we've gotten out of it. My hope is is that the content will help you understand your Bible in a deeper way and each time I post I'll have a link for you to be able to print off a study guide and my hope is that you would grab a friend go through the content and just begin to study your Bible for yourself. So with all that said let's jump into today's content. Well, we are continuing our study on David, and we are going to look at today about how criticism kills, and um, our focus of today's study is going to be Michael, and we're going to be in 1 Samuel 18, um, verses 20 through 28, and then also she's mentioned in 1 Samuel 19, 9 through 17, and then one last time in 2 Samuel 6, 20 through 23. And basically, for those of you that are just studying David, Michael is Saul's daughter, and she loved David. And in verse 21 of 1 Samuel 18, it says, Saul thought, I will give her to him that she may be a snare to him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. What's so crazy is Michael had a heart for David. She loved David. She thought he was great. Here he is, this famous warrior. And Saul wants to give David what he wants and really honestly what his daughter wants, but he did it with ill intent. And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I found myself in my life where people are doing what seems like the right thing, the nice thing, um, but they're doing it with ill intent, ill motive. Um, so Saul sets out a challenge to David that he has to bring back 104 skins of the Philistines. And David, um, as he always does, he goes over and above and he brings back 200. And it says in verse 29 of 1 Samuel 18, it says, Saul was still more afraid of David and Saul became David's constant enemy. In verse 30, it says, The Philistine princes came out to battle, and when they did so, David had more success and behaved himself more wisely than all of Saul's servants, so that his name was very dear and highly esteemed. What's crazy is that even everything that Saul did, it couldn't stop the favor of God on David's life. David continued to be the amazing warrior that he was, even though Saul was continuously against him. And I can say in my life, there's been seasons where it seems like it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how well you do. It doesn't matter how much success that comes. Um, there's some people that it's just they are continuously against you. So here is Michael, this girl that loved David. And then we see her later on in 2 Samuel 6, uh, 20 through 23. Uh, they are bringing in the Ark of the Covenant and David. David is dancing before the Lord and she is looking at out uh, the window and she's got a critical heart towards David 
And it says in verse 20 of first, uh, Second Samuel chapter 6, it says, Then David returned to bless the household, and his wife Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who stripped himself of his kingly robes and uncovered himself in the eyes of the servants, maids as one of the worthless fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Now, what she's saying in the original when you study this out is there would be men that would expose themselves quite literally on street corners at this time. And so she was likening him to, if you would, like what would be our modern day, like a stripper. And so she is saying like, you are, you say that you're this great man of God, but look at these vile, detestable things that you're doing. And David uh, just says, uh, it was it you that made me king. I'm going to be even more undignified than this. In verse 23, it says, And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. You know, in this, uh, what we see is that Michael became the wife of David, but she never, ever transferred who was her king. It was still her identity was tied up in being the daughter of Saul and not the wife of David. And I see this in our lives when we have divided loyalties, when we've been saved, we've been redeemed, God's come into our life and has done great things, but we still have these loyalties to our past and the past life that we had. And those divided loyalties, we can go on for a time because really nothing's really said of Michael much until we see uh, this happening in 2 Samuel 6. And But at a certain point, we have to choose which king we're going to serve. In fact, Jesus said that no man can love two masters. He'll either hate the one and, and serve the other. Like you have to, at some point, you have to decide which thing you're going to go with. And I think about this, that in our lives, are we having a critical eye or critical heart? There's a lot of people who criticize David. In fact, even some of the people that were counselors to him, they gave him feedback on things they thought that he should be doing. Um, but there's a difference in having a critical eye and a critical heart. And what we see with Michael is that she had a critical heart against David. A critical eye looks for things to improve. It sees the situation and it's always looking to become better. It doesn't get complacent in where it is. But a critical heart sees everything with judgment. In fact, I will say this, most of what I think the church calls discernment is actually just judgment. And when we get a critical heart, we begin to tell ourselves a negative story around that person. And everything they do is seen under a microscope. We never believe the best. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13, the definition of love says that it believes the best, right? And what a critical heart does, it never believes the best. It's always looking for the worst. And it's built a story that it believes about this person. And it looks through a microscope to see them uh, misstep. A critical eye uh, sees what is wrong, but celebrates what's right. And this is what we see so many people surrounding David throughout his lifetime. There was times that they spoke into him. Even we see um, the prophet Nathan, when he comes to him and confronts him about Bathsheba, um, he did confront him about the sin, but he also reminded him of the calling. And whenever we have a critical eye, we see what's wrong, but we also are quick to remind the people in our lives, the thing that the situation, the circumstance about everything that's right, that God called the God purpose, but a critical heart only matters 
recognize what is wrong and is unable to see what is right. And whenever we get into this place, we see with Michael, she couldn't even celebrate the good things that was happening, that the ark was coming back into uh, Jerusalem. She couldn't celebrate that David was praising God. She couldn't celebrate all the good things that were happening in that moment. She only saw the bad things that were happening. In fact, this isn't the only time we see people with a critical eye versus a critical heart. We see this happening with Judas and Jesus. Uh, Judas had a critical heart. He was critical of how Jesus was doing things. In fact, uh, I believe that the thing that made Judas fall the most was that he tried to rush the timeline of Jesus. He wanted it to happen on the way he wanted it to happen when he sold uh, Jesus to the religious leaders at the time. And you see this with Judas is his critical heart. Uh, whenever the woman breaks open the alabaster flask on Jesus, he began to say, couldn't this have been sold and done so much more with it? And you see that critical heart. He couldn't see. He could no longer see the good things that were happening in Jesus' life and his ministry. All he saw was through judgment. All he saw was what was going wrong. And Jesus' response was similar to David's. He just dismissed it and kept doing what he felt called to do. Um, I'm reading right now with uh, my friend Emily. We're reading through a John commentary, and it was so good. They mentioned that in John chapter 15, whenever Judas actually leaves, uh, Jesus strips himself of his uh, robe, and he began to really reveal his heart to the other remaining 11 disciples. And it's amazing how when the person with the critical heart leaves in our lives, when they finally exit, um, how we're able to show up as our true authentic self. And what's interesting is, is that Michael completely falls off the pages after 2 Samuel 6. Um, it's told to us that she lived on much longer than this. She didn't bear any children, meaning that her life was no longer fruitful. But she went on living. But David just kept being true to who he was. And he silenced that critical heart out of that voice out of his life. And I begin to question how many of us aren't able to do what God's called us to do um, because there's people with a critical heart. And maybe it's not people with a critical heart. Maybe you're the person that's had a critical heart and all you're able to see is what isn't happening. In fact, I will just say, I think there's people that on social media, they're watching every person's stories, reading every person's posts, um, not with a critical eye, but with a critical heart. And they built up a narrative about those people and everything they say and everything they do is proving uh, the story that they're telling themselves. And the cool thing about if you have a critical heart, the easiest thing you can do is just decide, God, change my heart. Uh, I want to be more like you. Show me what you're doing. Uh, don't let me have a lens of judgment towards these people, but help me see what you see. I do want to have a critical eye, right? I always want to be looking for ways to improve and ways to be better, but I don't want to live my life with a critical heart. That was so good. <laughs> I loved every minute. Yeah, right. You know one thing, okay, I feel like people don't know. Okay. It's something I've learned being near content creators. Wow. Is I th I think when you're just a listener, you think, oh, they like developed this over weeks or like this has been a message in their heart for a really long time and now they're releasing it. Uh -huh. Um and then being around people that are creating content all the time, I'm like, oh, actually, it's like an actual, um, the turnaround is faster <laughs> than I imagined. 
Wow. Because it sounds like, like I'm always amazed um, whenever I hear you speak. And I'm like, wow. Like, <laughs> all that came out. Yeah. <laughs> of such a short time. You're so nice. Wow, thank you. It sounds like it's been developed over, like, years, but it wasn't years. No. I guess, yeah. I guess in a way it is developed over years. Yeah, maybe it's been the 21 years since I got saved. I don't know. It's an accumulation of all that. Yeah, possibly. Possibly. It's kind of like that feeling when when we write a song and you write a song and like, oh, I wrote this in two hours. Yeah, but not really. Yeah, but it's like, no, you don't get to that in two hours. You get it from, like, life. The discipline of writing it, like, showed up in two hours, but the actual song was written over your life. Yeah. 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 Anyway, Michael. Yeah. So, what do you feel like as far as a critical eye, critical heart? Like, has there been seasons of your life where you've struggled having a critical heart? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I feel like, um, like it comes with pride. Yeah. Too. So, like, being in a prideful state, um, like, oh, um, it's easy to be critical of what other people are doing um, because you think that you did everything yourself to get you where you're, you were, get yourself where you were at. Yeah. When you're in a uh, place of pride. Yeah. And so, when other people haven't reached that, you're also like, uh, if you just did these few things, you would get there, right? Yeah. Um, when it's actually not you true. at all, right? Yeah. Right. I always feel like criticism costs nothing. Mm-hmm. It's easy to like watch somebody and just be critical because mm-hmm. it costs you nothing mm-hmm. to like sit back and like be judgmental. But when you're actually like have skin in the game, right? Like right, right. And I like specifically with worship. I remember being like a really young Christian. I actually. I remember being in the children's choir when I was five mm-hmm. at a, a Baptist church, and it was like six of us, mm-hmm. and we were all friends, mm-hmm. and we would, um, you had to like um, audition for a solo, <laughs> oh. and um, we would like be doing the games, uh, or doing the songs in the choir, five years old, and one of the girls in our uh, class Every time we would worship, she would like, oh, I love this story. Close her eyes, like squint really hard. Yeah, and for that culture of our church, like closing your eyes while you sing was like a really big deal. Yeah, which is so funny to me now. Yeah, because I'm like literally closing your eyes requires nothing. Yeah, but it was like, oh, you're feeling this. Yeah, like wow, that's so vulnerable. Yeah, and so <laughs> we would all. And it's like only five of us in the room, and we'd be like staring at her while she's like squinting, like really singing to to God. Uh-huh. And we were all like, "Wow!" <laughs> we are like, "She's just really feeling herself. Like she <laughs> loves this so much." <laughs> and we were like so critical towards her. Yeah. And it was easy to criticize because we'd never experienced what she was experiencing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So from my view, it was, "Oh, she thinks she's like the best singer ever. That's why she's closing her eyes." Mm-hmm. Not she's singing to God and like, like experiencing encountering God. Yes. Right. And so, I've found, um, even through that, and growing up is like most of the time when I want to have a critical heart, it's because I haven't they they're experiencing something I have yet to experience. Right. And I have something to learn from them. Mm-hmm. It's not just like, oh, 
she's just like in my from that point I had never experienced or encountered the Lord mm-hmm. in that way. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, she's closing her eyes like a pop singer, like when they're really feeling mm-hmm. like they're singing really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not where she was at. Yeah, that's good. And so when I find myself in a critical heart, I'm like, actually, I probably have something to learn from them. Yeah. Something I don't understand. Yeah. That they're, they have a grip on something I have yet to grip. Yeah. I think a lot of times criticism is like, um, if we try, if we treat a criticism as an invitation mm-hmm. of this is actually like, cause we don't see the world as it is. We see it as we are. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when we're being critical, maybe we're critical that somebody's always late. Right. But right. the reason why we're critical about that is because it's actually an invitation because we're always late mm-hmm. and we know that we need to be better in this area. Mm-hmm. And like, even for you, it was the God call on your life of worship, right? right? And it was an invitation from God to expose you to something greater, right? Right. right. But instead of saying yes to the invitation, we push it away through criticism. Right. And I found most of the time, whatever I'm critical in and other people is what God's actually working on in me. Yeah. As usually, I mean, the case. Because yeah. we don't see the world as it is. We see it as we are. And so usually the things that are bothering us mm. about other people or whatever it is, mm. like even for myself, whenever I catch myself like spinning out and being like, oh, Brian's dad used to always do this with us whenever we served him and we were leading teams. And I would be like, oh, this person, like they're just not giving everything they have to this team and they're just halfway doing it. Mm-hmm. And I would be so frustrated. Mm-hmm. And then he would ask me, in what ways have you been leading with going all in? Mm-hmm. Like, in what ways are, are you, you doing that? Yes. Yeah. And I would say 99.9% of the time, the answer was no. And I was coming down on the people I was leading because I wanted them to do what I myself not am not doing. So instead, like, as a leader, pivoting the question and being like, okay, instead of being critical about the email or critical about whatever, like, Ask, like turning the question back on myself, am I doing that? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So totally. I don't know. Because I think criticism could be an invitation into calling us up higher. Like, totally. But I think that's the difference between like a critical culture and feedback culture. Yes. Right. And so feedback culture is I'm telling you this because I want you, like, my heart of hearts is that I want you to be better. Yeah. Critical heart is saying, like, actually, I'm just going to tell you all the things I hate about this. Yes. Yeah. Right? And with no value for, like, actually you being better, just for you feeling bad for what you did. Yes. Right? Yes. Or how you did it. Yes. Or for you putting you down so that you know, like, you're not the best at this. Yeah. Right? And so it's actually, like, what's the end goal in mind, right? Yes. When we lead people is, like, um, people skirt away from feedback because they're afraid of people getting hurt. Yeah. But if your heart is good in it. Yeah. then they're going to feel that That's always good. with feedback. That's good. You know what I mean? Yeah. If your heart is just like, oh, I'm just pissed off about how they handle the situation mm-hmm. and you're going to give feedback there, Yeah. they're going to feel like, oh, you're just pissed off at me. Yeah. Right? But if your goal is like, I actually love this person and want them to be become better, the best version of themselves, the feedback feels like, oh, that's so much. Like, I feel so loved. Brian's dad always told us um, whenever we have like that kind of moment happening Mm -hmm. is my heart intent to hurt them Mm -hmm. or to help them. Mm -hmm. That's good. Because if it's hurt, it's done in anger, which is going to wound them. Right. And I've done a lot of hurt. (laughs) Done that. I've been a really bad leader. I've I've made a lot of mistakes. And I, I would say 
in the beginning of even our church, we had such a, we, we wanted to be better. Excellence is our mm-hmm. spirit is mm-hmm. one of our values, mm-hmm. but we took it to such an extreme that we like would nitpick apart yeah. everything. And then finally I was like, guys. When it becomes perfection is our purpose. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. And instead of being like, you know what? Like, let's celebrate what's right. Like, it's good to have a critical eye. It's bad to have a critical heart. So, yeah. yeah. That's really good. Okay. That's really good. Wow. I have one more question for you. Oh, wow. So tell me, can you give me advice on, like, how do you handle people in our lives? Like, you talked about um, what we read in the commentary about Judas. Like, when you have someone in your life that has a critical heart Mm. and, like, the weight you feel when they're gone or who you feel like you can be, your complete self, Mm -hmm. like, when they're gone. So for people that feel like, oh, I do feel like I have, like, a person in my life that's like looming criticism over me all the time. Dude. Like they're tracking my steps and telling me all the things I did wrong. Yeah, I've got like a whole line of them. Great. So like what's a what's an actual like step somebody can do to handle that? Oh. I think for me, I think whatever has my attention, mm-hmm. right, gets to define the story of what I do. Mm-hmm. And that's sad. And even for me in this particular situation, that immediately comes to mind. I have like 18 people who absolutely love me, mm-hmm. but it's the one snarky person that um, defines a lot of what I do. And um, even for myself, like I stepped out in some bravery um, recently and I was like, okay, at the end of the day, my calling is not between her and me. It's between me and God. Yep. So it really doesn't matter if she loves it, approves of it, thinks it's the best thing ever. Right. Um, she's going to write me an email or yeah. I'm going to have to drag her through this whole process. At the end of the day, when I stand before the Lord, God's going to ask me, did you do everything I told you to do? Not, did you do everything she wanted you to do? Or everything any everybody approved of. Literally. Right. Like, the people that troll my social media, the people that, and I wish I could just say they were like external people, but I found in my life, it's not the the people that are far removed from me that hurt the most. It's the people that are closer. Yeah. They know you and still they, they criticize you. Yes. Yeah. Which for me, I'm like, I would say even for those of you listening that you do have the access to a leader, Mm -hmm. the reason why you have access to them is not to be a voice of judgment in their life, but actually a voice of encouragement. Like they need that more than anything. And I would caution people listening that if you are close to a leader, like your words actually wound deeper than anybody else's. So Mm -hmm. be careful of like, um, just coming in and being a Michael. Yeah. Or being a Judas. Literally, literally. So for me, I'm like, okay, And I was talking to one of our staff members the other day, and I was like, you are so good at this because you just lead so well, and you don't think who's going to criticize me. And she's like, at the end of the day, this is my calling. Like, this is what I'm called to do. I I don't need to make apologies for that. Mm -hmm. And so even for me, I was like, okay, I need to be better about that and not let this one person get all my – because when that negative person gets all your attention, then they they get – they pick up the pen of writing your destiny, right? Mm-hmm. They're writing the story of what you're mm-hmm. going to do next. And and that really is idol worship because right. now I'm living for somebody 
who's an idol because I want their approval. I want their affirmation. And you know what's funny is with this particular person, it doesn't matter what I do. They won't praise me. So it's like. It's like you're like gunning for something you can never get. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Instead of being like, okay, God, you call me to this. I know that you've anointed me for this. And so I'm just going to walk confidently in that mm-hmm. and know that at the end of the day, um, it's really, I'm not, I love what Paul says in Galatians one. He says, um, do we live to call, uh, do I live to please man or do I live to please God? If it's yep. to please man, I could never serve God. Right. And I think a lot of us are, um, man worshipers and mm-hmm. we're so afraid of criticism. And especially right now in social media culture, mm-hmm. we're so afraid of criticism. We're mm-hmm. so afraid of somebody saying something bad about mm-hmm. us that we stop serving God and doing what he's called us to do. So yeah, I don't I don't feel like I'm really good at this, but I'm trying. I'm but trying it's choosing to listen to God's voice over the that voice of criticism. Yeah, it's so hard. And being able to separate the two. Yeah, cuz to me like um even all the people that attend our church on Sunday, like I don't care if they talk bad about me or write a Facebook post about me or any of that, but it's the people that are closest to me that's yeah. like, "Dang, it hurts so bad." Mm-hmm. I used to be such a bad people pleaser that I wanted everybody to love me, mm-hmm. and now I'm like, "Okay, it's fine that people are going to come this Sunday." And I already know they're probably not going to come back because my dress was red or the shoes I wore or the bag I carry or that I'm a female and I'm on stage. Like, I'm totally fine with that. (laughs) But so God killed that part of the people pleasing in me. But the part that is still yet to be killed is the people that are closest to me that no matter what I do, it's like you just can't win for losing. So God's that's something God's working in me right now. But their heart is their responsibility. But so is mine. So is yours. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. We are responsible for listening to the voice of God for our lives, not anybody else. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, we're accountable for what God tells us, not other people. And that sounds great. Yeah. It's hard lived. It is hard. Well, it's like I was talking to somebody the other day, and I was like, yeah, when you're doing what God's called you to do, and it seems like it's not what the world would measure as success— like, you're like, um, sometimes you start to be like, okay, does this even matter? And they're like, yeah, but if nobody ever listened to it, if nobody ever did it, mm-hmm. but you're obedient to God, is that enough? I'm like, yeah, that sounds beautiful. It's a great Instagram post. It sucks to live. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And so it sucks to be like, yeah, I'm being obedient to what God's called me to do, but yet people are still being salty. It's hard. It is hard. It's so hard. It is. I wish it was easy. Mm-hmm. It would be so great if it was easy. But you do see David like pivot so well with Michael. He was just like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to be even more undignified than this. Right. He pushes yeah. back on it. He's yeah. like, I'm going to, I'm going to be even, I'm going to go even harder than what this. So it would be like so me like, being like, I'm going to have even more sisterhoods. I'm going to, I'm going to preach even more have, times. I'm about to have an event every month. Every so month. get ready. Get ready for this. Here we go. Like that would be like me doing that. Yeah. Be like, oh, you hate this? I'm actually going to push back harder. I'm going to buy 10 bags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. God. I love it. They would fall out. I love it. And so, yeah, but you see David just pivot so well. And honestly, Jesus pivots so well. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Lord, just let me be like that. And I think there's seasons where I do better. But I think for me, the higher the vulnerability is of what God's asking me to do, the harder it is, you know. There's things that I just am so sure in of my calling. And then there's other things that just absolutely. And there's days where it's like, oh, yeah, I know what I'm called to do. Nobody can, like, tell me anything Nobody's going to stop me now. Woo! Yeah. Yeah, and there's days that it's just like, what in the world? 
Yes. Like, what was I put on this planet for? Dude, Absolutely I'm so nothing. good at being Solomon. <laughs> Solomon in Ecclesiastes. Vanity, vanity. Vanity. Everything is vanity. I'm right. like, that's me. You're like, none of this even actually matters. That's him. Right. Yeah, that's me. Right. Yeah, but I, I feel like Solomon and I would be really great friends. Mm-hmm. Great. <laughs> you and him would just be like... Doing Sudoku puzzles or something? Yeah. I feel like you'd do some kind of, like, logic. Yeah. Logical whatever, something that involves... Every time I read Ecclesiastes, I'm like, same. Honestly, same. He's like, I've done it all. I've seen it all. It's all not that great. (laughs) So at the end of the day, I hope this encourages you. Yeah. So what's a word of encouragement that we leave them with? Is there anything? Man, I think because, like, what we just talked about is, like, um, the people of criticism in your life do, like, affect you. But you have to balance it out with people that are going to be voices of encouragement. Like, do you have that? Yeah. And there's going to be some seasons where you're like, I legit, I don't think I have anybody. That's, like, there is. There's a lot of people that feel that right now. Like, I don't have anybody that's encouraging me in, like, the call of God on my life. You know, I feel like I'm walking on this, this on my own. And it's like in those places that like, um, even more so you have to lean into like, God, what are you calling me to do? And I'm doing this like for you. Yeah. You know, when no one else sees that, that you're like gifted in writing and speaking, like God's been telling you that the whole time, right? Mm -hmm. Before there was ever evidence. Yeah. Right. When God, when, before you ever write a good song and God says you're good, like I've called you to be a songwriter, yeah, like leaning good. into that, That's good. you know, and not leaning into the evidence of it. Yeah. Like, do you need evidence for what God's called you to? That's good. So. That's good. Yeah. You're so good at this. Wow. Yay. I take after you. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's great. Well, I hope you got something out of this. And as always, uh, take a moment to share it with somebody. Screenshot it. Put it on your social media. Tag me. I always love seeing that you guys are getting value out of the content that we're creating uh, over here. And so with all that said, uh, I hope you have a really great Christmas. <laughs>